1: Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams.
0: Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is Brian McWilliams. Hello and welcome to Electric Liberty Land. hope you're all doing well out there. Well, you know, I mean, I hope you're willing. Well, I don't really know if you are. It's kind of a one-way communication. You know, it's like, it's kind of funny, like social media. You people write things like, hope you all have a great day. And you're like, no, you don't. you don't. You don't really care. This is You just want one way. You just want to feel good about you, baby. Anyway, I want to hit a few topics on this week's show, which is Electric Liberty Land episode number 77. Of course, you can find the show notes at lionsofliberty.com forward slash E-L-L-7-7. A couple of things I want to hit on that happened between the time that I recorded this epic podcast with my father on Father's Day and the time of this airing. So got to get those in there because we've got, we got to talk about Trump's Space Force. If nothing else, we have to talk about the Space Force. And we will, we will, my children of the Liberty Corn, we will get to it. Of course, I want to remind you at the top of the show, Make sure you listen to Mark Claire on our flagship show every Monday where he's talking to liberty <laughs> leaders in the liberty movement. Pardon me. And this past week he had uh, Dr. Adelstein on there. He had Judd Weiss. And they were doing a little debate about the nature of self-esteem and uh, the value therein. Self-esteem. Is it good or bad? One could argue that in the modern day it's bad because it seems to be what all the people are concerned about with their children is making them little children feel good rather than actually having them know the difference between right and wrong or having learned any skills during the course of their young age. But I encourage you to listen, listen to this debate pretty much uh, pretty interesting back and forth and judge for thyself. And then, of course, on Fridays, we've got John Odermatt with Felony Fridays looking at the ironically named justice system and all of the problems that exist therein. And one last thing, guys, we are going to be recording live at Porkfest. Yes, this airs Wednesday. I will be at Porkfest as of Friday morning. I'll land. Me and Rico, are going to drive in and then we're going to start getting drunk because that's what we do. So if you are going to Pork Fest, don't be shy, come up, say hello to us. We'll be wandering around and doing our own Libertarians in Living Rooms drinking liquor very special episode, which will be video streaming to our patrons. And of course, you can support the show and become a patron at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support link in there to our Patreon account. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a hoot nanny that much. I can assure you, but as previously previously, I can't talk today. I can't do it. As previously stated on this program, though, if you come up to me and say hello and you're not wearing a Lions of Liberty shirt, prepare to be spat upon. I don't consider it a violation of the NAP as I am giving you fair verbal warning ahead of time. And by approaching me, having heard said verbal warning, you have uh, entered into a contract between two people (laughs) wherein you're agreeing to to get spit on should you not be wearing a T-shirt. No, no, no. Please do be friendly. And of course, you could buy a T-shirt online ahead of time. This uh, may not get to you on time with this much lead time, but hey, maybe you could expedite it. Wouldn't that be cool? And of course, I'm also going to be doing a little version of my own show at uh, Pork Fest as well on Saturday morning. So that should be fun. Just uh, quietly puking on a microphone for about an hour. That's what uh, that's what next week's podcast is going to be, guys. So you can look forward to that. But before that happens, this week. We've got a podcast in which I'm not hung over. I'm not even drunk. Now don't turn it off. I know most of you prefer me that way. Drunk and slurring my words and sliding around in my seat as I slowly crap myself. But no, no, I'm I'm sober for this part. <laughs> I was sober for the part with my dad coming up too. Don't worry. But uh so let's talk a little bit about some current events. First things first, Peter Strocks, Peter Strizok, Peter Stork, however you want to say his name guy with a Z in the middle of the name that's silent or not silent, depending on how you want to read it on a given day and whether or not you are, in fact, drunk on a given day. He has been escorted from the FBI building, from his uh, his <laughs> heights of federal bias. He has been currently escorted from the building and I guess is basically being suspended while this investigation takes place. So already we saw these texts come out. I haven't gone into it too much because it's been talked about everywhere. My father and I talk a little bit about it later in the show, how this is just basically this whole report from the DOJ that came out. It's just, it's kind of nothing. You know, it's, if you read into it, basically what you have is guys going, well, we looked into it and we found all this evidence that he is clearly biased, but you know, it didn't impact his work at all. What? I mean, what? What are you talking about? I mean, you're in charge of an investigation where you openly say you're going to stop somebody from getting office during it while you're investigating him. And in the meantime, you're overlooking all sorts of little things that happen for your preferred candidate at the same time. Which, by the way, why are the same people working on these two things simultaneously? Doesn't that seem to be an immediate conflict of interest, even for somebody that's not biased? But this guy clearly says we're going to stop Trump. We're not going to allow him to win. We're going to stop him. But no, of course, it has no impact on on his findings or the work that he did. My fucking ass it didn't. I mean, even if it's not intentional bias at that point, even if you can't say, well, we saw where he went out of of his way to, to do this. Well, the guy's assignment is to investigate this. I'm sure he's just going to investigate a little bit harder or maybe he's going to overlook some things that would say, well, usually you wouldn't investigate this or he's going to look a little harder and say, well, you know, this is something when it's nothing for everybody else in the world. Again, it doesn't have to be intentional bias here when you showcase the fact that you were clearly fucking biased by saying that you're not going to allow a man to win the presidency who is currently the Republican candidate. Just absurd. So, I mean, frankly... I don't know why he wasn't fired. I mean, that's just my, my base opinion. But what's even more ridiculous in this whole Peter Strzok, 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 Strzok uh, Sock Puppet situation is that not only was he not fired, but he was reassigned. And you say, OK, well, where was he reassigned? Was he was he, you know, sent down to the division of FBI extras that we see used in movies? Will we see him in the next Die Hard as a as a rent cop No a man who has clear bias, who has worked and was having an affair with another woman at the FBI with clear bias that has worked uh, actively to undermine a presidential candidate during his election cycle or during his candidacy. And in the meantime, has whitewashed through any number of offenses committed by Hillary Clinton, his preferred candidate during that same election cycle was not fired, but instead sent to work at the HR department for the FBI. (laughs) I mean, you can't write it any better. We've got a guy that showcases his clear bias during a presidential election. So let's put him in a position where he now has power and influence over who the FBI is hiring. I mean, can you think of anything dumber to do than that? We're going to put this guy in a position where now he can hire 10 more Peter Strocks to come in here and continue to fuck things up, to continue to have bias. I mean, this is the same as you see in academia. You see these people get on commissions or get on hiring panels, and they put people in positions that see the same as they do. They put people in that share their political viewpoints. Whether or not they actively know it or not, they put people in because they are so biased, they automatically gravitate towards people who have that same bias. You're seeing it in big tech companies. You're seeing it in academia. And now you're seeing it in the FBI. What has gone wrong with the world? Now, granted, the FBI, I could abolish it tomorrow and be completely happy. Same thing with the CIA. Same thing with any number of government organizations. So maybe in a way, it could work out for the best. Maybe Peter Strzok will be so inept and so biased in his hiring that we can open up a whole brand new investigation and really just clean house, really just chop that wood, man, prune those branches down to the point where there's just a little nub sticking out of the ground that can basically do nothing except have you trip over it if you're completely paying no attention and (laughs) basically are, uh, you know, as I was talking about earlier, completely blackout drunk hammered. That should be the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation should only be there to really get you if you're truly fucked up. And that's where we're end that little diatribe. God damn it. Human resources. Unbelievable. Okay, next thing we want to talk about here is Teddy, Teddy Cruz. I'm not going to talk about his basketball victory over Jimmy Kimmel. We will save that for discussion on our Degenerate Gamblers show for our Lions Pride. Of course, Rico and Odie and, uh, and I do that with Oh, much aplomb every week. But Ted Cruz, after his rousing victory over Jimmy Kimmel, uh, has now gone on and released a bill to address the issue involving the children that are being held and separated from their parents. Some 2,000 since uh, in the last couple of months have been separated from families, put in detention centers for 72-some hours, possibly longer. And then if, over that, they get put into foster homes or group homes, Wherein they are then taken until they can find suitable families in the u s to take care of them or relatives, or they are found and sent back to relatives overseas, so Ted Cruz's bill that he had just introduced does a little bit to address that, and this is all very early in the game by the way, because we don't know yet the exact bill words I almost call it the lyrics. <laughs> Because Ted Cruz writes a sweet bill. Oh, it rhymes with the best of them. It's like, have you ever heard Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix? This new Ted Cruz bill's lyrics are pretty much on par. No, no, pardon me. (laughs) Okay, so this, uh, this new song by Ted is called the Protect Kids and Parents Act, which seems very, very vague, but these bills are always vague. They're always vague and idiotically named so that they tug on heartstrings rather than actually tell you what the bill does. So here's what his general outline is for this bill that he will release later this week. He wants to double the number of federal immigration judges from roughly 375 to 750. Now, while I am obviously opposed to what I consider property rights violations by ripping children away from parents who simply want to come into this country to work, I have to say that uh, I'm not a fan of hiring 350 more judges and adding 350 more federal judge salaries to our roles on top of all the additional costs that it's going to be to what are we going to do with the families now? We're going to have to build special family detention centers. How is this going to work out? That's my question. How is this going to work out? Because this is the issue I voiced before is I don't really know how you handle this situation from the standpoint of, okay, what do we do with these people now? Because the problem that's occurring more than anything for me is that half these people are seeking asylum. Half these people are just looking to come into the country illegally. There are two different things on some level. The people seeking asylum are from countries that have been ravaged by violence. The people that are just coming in illegally just want to work. Now, if we didn't have this welfare state in place, I'd be fine with both those people just come on in, and take a seat, you know, get to work, start contributing to the economy. But when you have this type of situation, I guess you just handle them and you have to build a new facility that's family-friendly now. You have to combine two prisons into one. You have to, I mean, I, I seriously think about the amount of infrastructure retooling that would go into place with this bill and the astronomical cost of it, and I just don't even know how you'd handle it. That's the thing that I need to know about this more than anything is What is the scenario if we don't separate parents and kids at the border? Because Cruz's bill does have an allotment for temporary shelters. And I don't mean temporary as in these are going to be tent cities for them necessarily. I mean temporary, and I think this is the way that he means it, as in they'll be there temporarily, but these are still brand new structures. These are still brand new state-of-the-art facilities that are going to be constructed at the taxpayer expense to handle this new way of dealing with things, whereas Again, I wonder if you can just combine those together with what we have right now. If there's a way to just say, okay, well, you see those fences? All right. Well, now it's just going to be a big open room and all the families go in this room and we're just going to have people watch them. You know, you're you're responsible for your children. So watch over your damn kids. We're not going to have therapists there on hand to deal with any of this kind of shit that speaks Spanish. And we're just going to try to process it more quickly. Because one of the issues that keeps cropping up for me in all this is that Yes, we want to be humane to these people. We want to treat them as if they have their property rights. We want to treat them as though they are human beings. However, there is also the side of me that says, "At what expense to the people that have rights in this country at what expense to all the rest of us? Do we do this It's kind of like the the concept that I was talking about with the military where you've got a military that exists seemingly. To go over, they sign up to protect America, but they go over and they die at the whim of foreigners. They die for whatever foreigner, you know, okay, we're just going to swap your American life out for that foreigner's life because, you know, why not? They're in trouble over there, so now it's your problem. You got to go deal with it. Even though you don't know them, they have nothing to do with you. They have nothing to do with your family. They have nothing to do with America. All right, see you later. Good luck. Meanwhile, here, you go, okay, so... We're providing the all these services, all these... And I told you about the special dorms they set up for a lot of these kids that come in that cost $670 per child per day, which is absurd. So what's all this going to cost now? And what uh, to what... To what expense to the people here are we are we swapping this out? At what point are we saying, okay, well, we're just trading equivalencies. We're trading lives of people here and the expenses that you're taking out of people that you're ripping away from them because, hey, look, taxation is still theft. And if we get into a system now where we continuously have to pay in from the more taxpayers, we continuously have to build more facilities, we continuously have to deal with more lawsuits, we continuously have to buy more judges to place in positions of uh, of federal salaried power, then something has got to give. We have to re-examine what the hell is going on. Now, again, we would have never gotten to this point if a libertarian was in charge or anybody with half a goddamn brain had taken a look at the situation and just said, look, we cannot have the welfare infrastructure that we have in this country if we want to have any level of open immigration and even closed immigration. Because you're still going to have people that are going to come in here. The largesse of the economy attracts people to this, to this society. And it's been proven time and time again from virtually every single study that you can find that immigration helps the economy. It helps much more than it hurts. So why don't we find a middle ground where we're not just putting people in cages, tearing them away for their families, or having another solution where we say, build bigger jails. Great solution. Let's jail whole families together. Just keep adding the roles to them. Put more judges in there so we can kick these people out of the country faster. Because that's all this means. Or assign children to, to be assigned to, uh, to other foster families faster. Because if you want to prosecute the parents, you still got to separate the kids no matter what. You just do it later in the, later in the process. Or deport them all together. Just, just They're basically saying... We need to jail more people and we need to kick them out of the country faster. Instead of that, can we get a better system? Can we get a better visa system? Can we get a better green card system? Can we get a better work permit system? And make it easier for people to just get the goddamn permits and come in here. That way they don't have to sneak into the country. That way you don't have to build massive new infrastructures to take care of these people and totally rework the way that the system is set up. And by the way, we we're talking about this just briefly. Fuck every goddamn Democrat piece of shit asshole who's coming at all, you know, the Trump organization right now, which I agree. Trump's made it worse. But this situation has been in place for a long time and they didn't say shit and they didn't do shit. So don't act holy now. An atrocity is an atrocity. Doesn't matter if it happens today. Doesn't matter if it happened 10 years ago. Where were you then? Alright, last thing, since we're already talking about Trump, let's talk about something a little bit more jovial, huh? Like Trump's Space Force. In 2018, Donald Trump, President of the United States, created the Space Force to protect humanity from an alien invasion and Russian hypothermal space nukes. This of course was a propaganda front by President Trump, who had been trying to reach his homeland of Comover, a planet outside of the third ring of Saturn, obscured from our viewpoint and cloaked from our sensors. President Trump had been attempting to contact Comover for some time,
1: utilizing his iconic Trump Tower as a giant
0: radio antenna. However, President Trump was never able to phone home. Thus, the creation of the Space Force. Or at least that's how the legend goes. Oh, the Space Force. I gotta say, on a surface level, I like it. (laughs) How How could you not, at least on some level, ironically, appreciate the Space Force? Especially when... The godfather of liberty for our little troop, Howie Snowden, has uh, exposed himself as a statist when it comes to defending ourselves from threats from outer space. He's talking primarily asteroids, comets, and the like that might bomb us from afar. But, hey, Space Force. I will say this. I'd rather see the money used on a Space Force rather than on any number of domestic wars that we can start with our current military budget. I'd rather see it used rather than giving foreign aid to all these different countries. I'd rather see it used than uh, being reinforced and reused to up the current military. I'd rather see it being used to use on the Space Force rather than fight the war on drugs. I'd rather see it used for any number of things. I'd rather see it used in enforcing this current immigration law. But we all know that's not going to happen. And, you know, the funny thing is, that NASA is basically, you know, they're puddling along doing their NASA thing, but all the major improvements have been made by private people, including Elon Musk and SpaceX, who have been forging ahead, basically inventing new ways to reuse rockets, which is a huge breakthrough where you can take off, you can reland the rocket, no longer does it crash or burn off or fall into the ocean, no much more pragmatic, much more capitalist centric because you're not just throwing money away every goddamn time you fire a rocket off and pioneering brand new ways to enter space travel and further human exploration into the cosmos. So while I can applaud in a way Donald Trump for trying to be forward thinking in regards to the future, where, you know, without a doubt, space will become a frontier at some point, But again, this seems to be putting the cart ahead of the horse just a little bit, considering the fact that even the private companies, which want to do it so much more than the government does because they can make money off of it, the driving force for everything that is good in this world, greed, if they haven't gotten there yet, I refuse to believe that putting this pretend space force in place at this point to invest more government dollars into private companies, which is all that's going to happen anyway, I don't think they're going to make a new DARPA slash NASA hybrid just pulling shit out of thin air, especially when you've got Elon Musk paying people way more money than the government. And frankly, I would not want the government to pay enough money to wean somebody away from Elon Musk over at SpaceX. But you know what? Take a step back. You know, observe, use your DARPA cash that's already been allotted and just kind of look a little bit more spaceward. How about that, Trump? But like I said, I will buy a Space Force T-shirt and possibly even a badge to put on my super cool backpack. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this uh, little mini episode at the beginning. Now I'm going to take you into our true conversation with me and my uh, papa. So thank you and stay tuned for more. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jujitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time. Train to win. Visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a three 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show all right so here we are this is uh electric liberty land number 77 everybody so you can of course find the show notes for the episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ell77 and i am recording on father's day today meaning that uh, i might have a special guest in mind and i uh i happen to stumble across somebody that has played a large role in my life and uh I have to share the same last name as I do. My father, Jamie McWilliams is joining us. <laughs> hey dad.
1: Brian, long time no see. Yeah, yes, it's been
0: been such a such a long time. So, welcome to the show, dad. I know you listen to, to the podcast a, a bit, not every episode, but uh, you're politically inclined, especially in the world we live in of Trump, but you know, first I want to introduce you to the audience. So, uh, the man Well, I appreciate that. And I,
1: I wanted to introduce something that may be embarrassing to you, but to the audience that tells a little something more about Brian. Okay. Uh, Brian, uh, I, I think I told you this, but just to, to recap, I, there's the birthday and then there's the day you're conceived and okay. you know, <laughs> you know your, your day of conception. I asked mom about the hour. I won't go that far. But I was, uh, I worked for a company, major computer company at that time. And I was gone for two weeks or a week and a half. And then I had one day back and had to go out for a week, April 1st. That (laughs) was the day of conception. I could give you the hour and minute. (laughs) That I think, is apropos on yep. Father's Day. And probably your audience is dying to know that you know, <laughs> this is where it all began.
0: Yeah, you're playing a joke on the world by conceiving me on that day. And the joke just keeps getting funnier.
1: <laughs> April Fool's Day. But it wasn't a joke. Nine months later, there you were. Little
0: yep. baby well, thank God for that. I think all the, all the people in the world will be very happy that that, that uh, sperm and egg connected on that particular day and I am the inevitable result. Um, so dad, tell you know, tell me a little bit about your political views over the course of like my youth, because I can remember you guys voting for Democrats. Uh, I think probably some Republicans back and forth, but you know, what were your views and, uh, when you were younger and then as you know, I was growing up and what are your views now? Take us through a little bit of that story as to the way you've evolved from a political perspective.
1: Well, like a lot of people, you start off in one place and you end up at another. Um, I, our, my dad, your grandfather, you know, he was always Republican, Republican, Republican. However, when I was at Penn State, I was second, no, third generation. Yeah, I parents. know if people
0: know that. Yeah, we're, the McWilliams has run deep at Penn State.
1: <laughs> Penn State, yeah. But when I was at Penn State, this was at the height of the Vietnam War. And I came to the conclusion that this is not something I really could support. So at that time, and then coming out of that, I went to Temple University for my graduate program. I told you the story of how I legally (laughs) did not end up going to Vietnam because maybe people, a little bit of history didn't know at that time, they had a draft and they had a lottery system. And, And another little bit of irony, my draft number was number 13. So you think of 365, it was not, would you be, but when. Right, yeah. But having not been drafted, without going into that story, um, I then, my first real job was working in Columbus, Ohio at a television station. And this was when Richard Nixon was running against George McGovern, coming off of Vietnam. I was very much pro-McGovern because, like a lot of people at that time, I was against the Vietnam War, didn't believe in it, and this led to Watergate, et cetera, et cetera. I experienced, talk about news bias, the the station that I worked for, the CBS station, was very much a very conservative station. And I saw firsthand with George McGovern, who was very liberal, trying to run and seeing how a reporter was directed to ask certain questions to try to tor- make oh, it look, it look yeah. bad. So don't think the media bias was not present in those days. Mm-hmm. And I kind of found it kind of distasteful. Uh, but over time, having gone through Watergate, um, I, I, I also came to learn when I actually had a chance to see Richard Nixon in person, working in the news business, I said, you know, like everybody, there's there's there are many sides to people. Nobody's perfect, and everybody has some things that they do well. And a lot of times you don't even realize that till later. Now, I did vote for Jimmy Carter over Gerald Ford, mm-hmm. and he was very much in the Obama mold in that he was a person who was charismatic, fresh ideas, but he he, he did not seem to be a very effective leader. You know that we had the gas crisis. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of problems with Iran. Yeah. And so overall, Jimmy Carter, I did not think had a very effective presidency. I was moving more toward a more conservative type of side. Although in Carter's defense, when the original wars with Iraq began, he was a military guy. And he never got credit, but a lot of the things they had, the Patriot missile systems Mm -hmm. and different defense things that were used so effectively to just blast through Iraq, that was developed under Carter. So again, history may have a different perspective than what is happening currently. Right, yeah. But in terms of my philosophy, and this is where we converge a lot, I've always been very liberal socially. You know, I've I've never felt that... Yeah I I I've never been a conservative in the sense of being more you know morally uh exclusive righteous I've always dealt with all people as individuals but when it came to financial policies and things like that that's where I definitely as I developed was more of a conservative personality Yeah and having worked and having worked in the news business for 4 years and I could you know and seeing things like that were done and now I, I'm a member of the media technically even mm-hmm. though my business now I'm semi-retired is doing a television show about golf travel I still have media credentials in that area of the business so you know when you're a media person and you're a person in public relations mm-hmm. you get to um, you get to sometimes you participate in spinning things you oh, yeah. get to look selectively at what you want to present and you also knowing from the other side you get to be pretty astute at recognizing bs at recognizing falsehoods at recognizing things like that so when bringing it up to the present it's a very very disheartening situation in some instances because once when when you grew up dealing with journalism and in the media and and you're a writer and things like that and you recognize what's happening it's, it's very disturbing to see that the truth.
0: Yeah. Is it's just been completely right. Well, by the way, I want to mention one thing. So, you know, dad, you mentioned us converging and uh, cause you know, politically, I, I myself also is a sim- similar pattern in that I went back and forth, uh, you know, voting for, uh, for Democrats and Bush, you know, when George Bush first ran, well, not the uh, first Bush, but George, uh, HW, um, so yeah when Bush ran on a, a platform of really non interventionalist you know, non-empire building and then went and did all that anyway. So yeah, I voted for him, then I voted against him for the second term and then I, you know, then I became a Ron Paul fan and you yourself you know also became a Ron Paul fan. My dad had the Ron Paul uh, placard in the yard and everything. So I want I want our audience to uh, to know that. But in regards to the current political climate, yeah, it's the the effort to uncover the truth is completely gone and and, you know, naturally, there's always going to be some biases. And, and yours was, uh, this is, you're talking about CBS when you were in Ohio, right?
1: Yeah, I worked at the CBS affiliate in Columbus, Ohio.
0: Right. So that's, uh, you know, I guess Columbus is probably still more conservative leaning. Although Ohio, I think, usually goes Democrat, doesn't it? At least now. Well,
1: that's where, you know, things evolve and change. I mean, yeah. uh, I went, before you were born, when we lived in St. Louis, we lived in a town that was brand new. It was a suburban community. Your grandfather, my dad worked for the United States Army as a civilian with the helicopter division, and it was called Florison. Mm-hmm. And when we drove, when, when, when you graduated from Penn State and I drove with you out to California, I tried to pass through where I had gone to, you know, lived in, in Florison. Mm-hmm. You've heard of Florison, maybe because of Ferguson. But we could number one i couldn't find it it had changed so much and it had evolved into a completely different environment completely right. 100% so things change over time yep. but but, it, but in regard to the news business and the truth too one of the things that i experienced at columbus ohio because i came in as a news photographer cameraman but I had aspirations to be on the air, and I worked into doing sports reporting. I eventually was a sports caster in South Carolina. But what I, what, I, but there was a lot of professional jealousy from some of the people who saw me as a threat. Right. And without going into any really de- real details, situations would come up where something would happen, and they would paint the picture so that so the he- there was a half truth. Like, yeah. I once had to change a film magazine in the mayor's office, and he said, oh, go to the closet, because if you expose any of the film, you would lose it, and we literally didn't want to lose the last comment. It locked. And yet, the reporter, who was not exactly in my corner, went back, and, and then later the news director says, and you embarrassed the station by being locked in the closet. And the <laughs> mayor of the city was joking about it and saying, should we let him out? So here's a situation yeah, right. that is totally innocuous. But somebody <laughs> painted it as something totally different. Right. That's what's happening a lot today. And that's what's more dangerous than an outright lie. Because when somebody outright lies, it's easier to show that. When well, there's it's just, an element of truth involved, people always want to glom on that and say, oh, yes, but there is this element of truth. Right. That well, is, well, that's
0: what keeps be happening with the, the Trump situation. uh yeah, the Trump-Russia collusion thing where it's like, okay, there might be a smidgen of like, okay, some of these people took meetings, but really there's nothing effectively there. The whole thing with the Russians in, in, you know, impacting the elections, we're now, I don't know if you've been following that story, but you know, Mueller tried to indict these Russians and one of the companies, yeah. they said, okay, fine, we'll take you to court. We, still, we know this is total bullshit. And so you know, now Mueller's uh, trying to block their discovery to, to deny them any access to any of the, the actual evidence against them. And saying that they can't even see it, and that it's you know a threat to national security. To it to
1: the boss, it's basically yeah, exactly. And he
0: doesn't know how to handle it, so he's trying to say it's national security to keep it a secret. But it's like, well, you have to let me see what you're accusing me of at least. So it just is. It's amazing where you can go with it, and how the media is covering these things. Because what's interesting to me is what they selectively choose to cover and not cover. Uh, so effectively, you know, CNN is the perfect example, and, and uh, you know, even uh, Larry King had just come out saying CNN is a joke and that the media in general, like there is no news media anymore. It's all just biased viewpoints and it's gone, you know, past the point of even being reliable uh, to the point of just being pure propaganda.
1: Well, you know, it's also a little, uh, what what made me chuckle is that uh, the conclusions that are drawn and not drawn because the inspector general's report came out and immediately after listening to that and I turned to your mother Mm -hmm. and I said, this is exactly like, it just sounds to me like the Hillary Clinton thing. They, they list 50 reasons of how horrible she was. And then says, but (laughs) she's not not guilty. (laughs) And then he did the same thing, but it shows you it's a, it's a type of government corporate mentality that says we always want to cover our asses. Oh yeah. And we really don't want to go too far, even when it's staring us in the face. But what we want it's like anything. When you try to be all things to all people, yeah, you end up being nothing. Well, it's like that, you know, they hate Donald Trump too because he basically says, "I don't give a damn," and yeah. you know, people don't like that. They, I mean, President Obama. I, even though I didn't vote for President Obama, I had an ext- a very much an open mind, and mm-hmm. I just said, "You know what? He's charismatic. He's got wonderful ideas." And but at some point, when ideology does completely takes over, yeah. then it becomes dangerous. And and what happened over time is I realized he's a great speaker. You probably like the guy personally, but when it came to governing, when it came to doing things to really move the country in the right direction, more and more I said, this is a person who you know is moving in a different direction. And, and, and I felt it was frustrating because I always thought he would be smart enough and pragmatic enough to take that approach. But as I saw the ideology going further and further yeah. in that direction, Well, he
0: had no interest wow. in actually collaborating or working and reaching across the aisle. You know, it's like his classic uh, phrase, I have a pen. You know, it's like it's basically like I have a pen and a paper or whatever. I'll sign sign my way through and basically force through what he wanted to get done rather than try to actually find a solution that would work for both sides or have any interest in, in fostering communication. Um, or even in listening to other people's ideas as far as how the country should be run. And that's what just drove me insane uh, in the way that Obama operated. And then you have people that are viewing Obama now, who, who by the way, won a Peace Prize. And that's the next thing I want to talk to you about is Trump getting nominated for this Peace Prize. You know, you've got people that look back at Obama and say he was one of the greatest presidents in history. And I'm looking back at the guy and saying, well, because he was likable? Is that why? Because when you look at what he accomplished, he forced through this health care, which uh, most of the country at the time did not want it. He he did it in regards to just a pure majority of legislation. He then bombed so many countries that he ran out of actual bombs. You know, it's just like the, the guy starts more wars and he continues to grow these wars. How is he a great president? You know, it, when he left us, it's not like the economy was booming. It's doing better under Trump. So why is he revered? you know and then in the meantime you have got Donald Trump talking to North Korea he has a first time ever summit with North Korea first time it's ever happened and yet the media attacks him for saying that he's given away the cow and the farm
1: uh, to yeah. Kim Jong Un right after the summit it's just it's well crazy. he loved he loved Putin now That's he's got to love Kim and by yeah. the way, this was—I I got a, ch- a kick out of it. Number one, I don't think Trump should be nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize until you actually do something. Right, agreed. Until yeah, yeah. Africa, agreed. Obama. Having the other,
0: one meeting doesn't do anything. Me,
1: is they had Kim, like, you know, Kim nominated too, and no. I thought. Wow, I wonder if his like uh, former half brother would be, you know, interested in that. You know? Yeah, right. The guy He's that like he, saying, up with yeah, a- he deserves it. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, I think I, that these things get a little ridiculous.
0: Well, it's like you don't want to forgive the fact that Kim is a monster. I mean, he has done absolutely monstrous things. He starved his people. He's a murderer and a dictator and a psychopath. But at the same time. You know, the way I'm looking at it and and the way Trump's looking at it is he goes, look, if this is going to stop nuclear war from breaking out, then I'm all for it. If this is going to open up, and what I'm hoping for is North Korea, they're starting to become a little bit more capitalist. And it's amazing just what that's changed in that country. And if this, as the more these talks go forward, the more chances are that they may open up that economy. They may allow people to go travel in and out of North Korea. So, you know, the best thing for these people, even though Kim Jong-un's a psychopath, is to open it up and get the communication lines going for the sake of those people. So when you see the media attacking him for, oh, have we forgotten about the human rights issues? Of course not. But in the efforts of helping the human rights issues, this is the best way forward.
1: Well, you know, people, uh, I'm a huge believer in history. And like, and, and what worries me about the United States is, uh, a lot of people think we're immune from things happening. But if you look at history, most great societies always are destroyed from the inside, not the outside. Yep. Yep. And and if you look at history, FDR, who was revered, and rightfully so for the things he did, he was in cahoots with Stalin because mm-hmm. that's what it took to defeat the, uh, the Nazis. You know, that that was... Expediency and you know a film that we both saw and loved we watched it together Patton at the end of the movie says We're just gonna end up turning around and fighting the Russians You know, (laughs) they're not our friends. They're our friends now, but they're gonna be our enemies people don't ever seem to grasp the flow of history Mm -hmm. and what we are in now is really a very historical moment in terms of where is our country headed? What are we about and you know, it's and, and the other thing too. Now I'm living. I, I'm living in Florida, but when I go to New York to see our darling, my darling yes. daughter, your darling,
0: our darling, darling socialists,
1: it's like uh, family you member. go into a bubble. Oh yeah, and it becomes, and, it, and and people really do reinforce all their beliefs, and they don't really see the whole world picture. And and a little side note here in terms of your generation and the younger generation. People aren't getting stupider, but in many ways, they're becoming somewhat less expansively intelligent because with technology, people have a great amount of knowledge, but it's getting into a narrower and narrower band, right. and they're kind of losing the ability to see the bigger picture right. and the it's, bigger sweep of how
0: It's like a laser. you know. It's like they have a, a very specific, very powerfully focused point of view that can go very far in exactly one direction on one course of thought and yeah and they and and exactly right i've talked about this on the show before it's like the way the algorithms are set up when you google something it knows your search preferences it feeds you more information that's going to reinforce that and the same thing with facebook showing you you know the things you've liked it shows you more of those things so of course you're going to see more things that reinforce your worldview and i said this as well as People don't talk as much anymore. You know, it's like it's a very secluded world that we've invented, where people are connecting over the internet more, but they're not actually communicating face to face. You're not actually having a dialogue. It's mostly one way communication that you're looking for reinforcement or encouragement in the form of likes or retweets or whatever else it is. So you don't and have people loss interacting is anymore.
1: Lost. What's you that? There's, there's difference in terms of inflection. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, certain things maybe. St- well, you know, Trump is an example of this. He'll say certain things as a provocateur. He'll mm-hmm. say certain things in jest, but they'll take it and display it literally in yeah. print, and people say, oh, my God, that's horrible. You cannot get that. I have had people upset over things that I put in print over emails because the context could you know, was lost. Yeah. And But this is – and the problem is – People can interpret things as they want to interpret them. And that's why everything is being filtered and filtered through this prism, but it's not actually reality. It's yeah. their interpretation of it. And that's a whole other thing if you want to get into that.
0: Well, the one thing I want to talk about a little bit in that it's tied into what we're saying here and it ties into this, uh, this story about Kathy Griffin you know, coming at Kevin Hart for not, ta- not calling Trump out in his comedy act, which is just idiotic. But it's also this, you know, this virtue signaling and this, uh, cu- this attacking people for having a dissenting point of view or not supporting a view enough. Where it's really, it's it's causing so much self censorship for people who now don't want to, you know, I got to watch my p's and q's because I don't want to get Twitter uh, roasted and and be, you know, have people out to my company and go try to get me boycotted because I said this one thing, uh, you know, that people don't even understand the context of.
1: And, well, I need you to clarify something there, though. She said Kevin Hart's a P. A pussy. State. Yeah, pussy. Is that what it was? I yeah, thought she yeah. was a patriot. I, I miss <laughs> no, it. no. He's he's you know a what? Pussy, I bro. have a solution. She should get a little Kevin Hart cutoff little thing little like head. Trump. Learn <laughs> ventriloquism, and then she can say the things with kind of a black hat, you know, type of thing. <laughs> All the things she wants them to say. You know that, that actually. Like. That so would be Kevin the perfect. F- Catherine... Take Kevin Hart. He's a short guy. the him up. <laughs>
0: If Kathy Griffin actually did that, it would be the funniest thing that she's ever done because she's typically incredibly unfunny and that actually would go over pretty well. But uh, but yeah, it's just like, you know, you've got Kathy Griffin saying, well, th- he's a black man, which for us, it's, you know, kind of racist that this thought control, you know, that if you're black, you have to think this one way, which is why I respect the shit out of Kanye West for supporting Trump and saying, you know, I'm going to think what I want to think. You know, so to say that Kevin Hart has to make fun of Trump in his act to what ostracize half the crowds he's playing for because yeah. because this is because everyone must attack Donald Trump no matter what despite the despite his best efforts you know it's just it it makes me so angry and frustrated because it is really emphasis on thought control it is trying to control the way people think the way people express themselves all through the line like you know liberal liberals are trying to completely dominate and control in an authoritarian fashion the culture as it's emerging.
1: I have no problem with people making fun of Donald Trump because wasn't no, funny. But there's <laughs> there's the, the there's the making fun of in the sense of look at this because these uh, humor is taking what's on people's minds and bringing it out. So there's enough things there to do that. But when it comes down to everything has got a political point of view yeah. to make him purposely look bad or stupid. That's not humor. That's like just tearing somebody down. So I don't care, you know. I don't care. I'm pretty irreverent, you know. Mm-hmm. I'll make fun of almost everything. Like, I even once thought maybe somebody should take a shot of Donald Trump coming out of the bathroom and <laughs> then put a sign up there instead of "Dump Trump" by, <laughs> "Trump Dump." You know, right, yes. <laughs> that's how sick I am. So I'm saying, but see, that's that's making fun of the sloganeering type of thing mm-hmm. versus saying, you know, oh, he's despicable and well, you hate him. I mean, the thing that's really sad to me. Is that if you look up the word bigotry, bigotry is a hatred of something, an intense hatred of something. And the problem is that all of the rhetoric and all of the news reporting, all of these things is building a culture where Mm -hmm. people are being bigoted toward whatever it is, whether it's toward uh, immigrants, whether it's toward uh, Trump. Rather, but people are being made into having these bigoted feelings. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the thing to say is that, like you say, when you're forced into a certain mindset, as soon as you disagree with somebody, you're, you're branded as a racist or as a conservative yep. or a scumbag. But the fact of the matter is, any type of hatred that's directed towards somebody is bigotry. And whether you call it racism or that, hatred is hatred and it's never healthy and is mm-hmm. never productive, and yep. unfortunately, our society is moving towards this. Uh, oh,
0: without a doubt, it's it's it is reinforced that this. You know, it's there's no longer I like this person, but we can disagree on that. It is pure like if you be- if you don't believe exactly what I believe, I hate you. Like you say, because you're now racist, and that is what the media has taught us. That's what all these pundits are teaching us. I mean, that's really you know the talk about the political points of view, and and this is. Again, I, why I have a bigger issue with the left than the right for the most part is because the left is pushing this viewpoint where if you disagree on any of these wildly ridiculous things they're trying to push forth on us as far as you know, being accepting of, of, of everything and anything, and it's, if you disagree, you are now a sexist or a bigot or a racist or whatever else, and it's, it's not fair because you're taking, again, we're talking about context, you're taking it out of context, and they have no interest in listening to the reasoning behind it you know, why, why, here's why I feel that this isn't the best way forward, why we have to check ourselves before we try to, you know, like this, this gay uh, masterpiece cake shop, for instance, where they said, well, you know, they kind of dodged the issue, but you there's no way you should be forced to have to make something for somebody. That's just
1: putting them but, in a but, position. But of Brian, you know, a fact, a fact that didn't come out until recently is that uh, the, the baker said, you can come in and I'll make this for you. I'll make right. this Anything for you. Anything else. It was, yeah. it was just the cake. So right. this, but see, that got lost in the narrative. Yeah. He was a bigot right. because <laughs> he hated gay people. And he said, no, this is a religious thing in this area. Yeah. And, and you know the other thing too, this is, this is interesting too, uh, hypocrisy. It makes people very, very hypocritical because mm. like in my business, you know, I go around to a lot of these great golf resorts we're treated very, very well to lavish dinners. To that. Now, this isn't with my present situation, but prior to doing the television show I do now, we would do this thing called the Golf Road Warriors. And I liked all the guys I worked with, but they were all very liberal. One guy yeah. from Portland, a guy <laughs> from New York. And, that. and they were yeah. nice guys. But when, but here's the thing. I'm, I'm not that conservative. I don't go around ever talking about that. But, but because my view was not... With keeping with them, they branded me like you know I was a tilla you know well, the fun yeah. type yeah. person. <laughs> and we have discussions about it, but I say, but but, but here's the, what I don't get, guys, is here you're talking this anti, this proletarian anti, you know anti big business, and oh it's mm-hmm. so horrible, and we're liberals, we're great liberals, and yet your careers and your right. work is you know, being uh, lavishly catered to by these very conservative institutions, yeah. that's your business. Yeah. exactly. We're going to bite the hand that feeds you. But, the, but here's where the dangerous part comes in, when you look, and again, historically, like you look at the Soviet Union and you say, you know what, let's look at communism, in its purest fundamental sense, you say, how could you argue with it? We